0: Made in the Trade, X-Men, Issues 54 through 66. (laughs) (laughs) This is uh, collected in the Masterworks, Volume 6, and it's the introduction of Havoc as well as the final issues before we go to Giant Size X-Men and X-Men number 94. So the issues between 66 and 94 were all reprints. Uh, Some of them are reprinted from this collection here, but they were just reprints between 67 and and 93. Those were just not original stories. So this is literally what the stories of the X-Men were right before we introduce... Wolverine, Storm, Colossus, Nightcrawler, all the The purest.
1: Two. Yeah. Just distilled X-Men. Yeah. yeah.
0: So we have here the original five, and we introduced Havoc. We've already introduced Lorna Dane in a previous issue, uh, but I'm going to try to go chronologically, But um, and I'll get your take on what you thought about all these collections so far. But for the first couple of issues of this, we've got... <clears throat> Uh the most significant thing I think is the introduction of of Alex Summers. Right?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we've got I mean <laughs> it is, yes, it is. It is the <laughs> Havoc arc. <laughs> yes.
0: So we introduced Alex Summers in the early pages of this. And um but uh, also the the villain, the living monolith, he's kind of a forgettable villain.
1: Yeah, we saw him a little bit as he popped up in the early
0: 2000s. And mm-hmm. They tried to rehash him.
1: Yeah, and it's like, oh, <laughs> somehow he's merged with the Apocalypse or right. part of the 12 or whatever that was. And, and that was
0: the thing. It, it kind of made sense because I think they decided to make Apocalypse's origin ancient Egypt
1: related. Correct. Although I think that was actually introduced in um, an X Factor when they introduced the externals and they had one mm-hmm. of them who he first realized he was immortal when he discovers Apocalypse's ship in ancient Egypt. Okay. I believe. I could be wrong.
0: Yeah. So, And, and one of the things that drew me to this uh, trade was because when I first started in comic books, I was actually drawn to X-Factor. And my first issue of X-Factor, I think, was 16. Um, but it's funny because that opened up all of the Marvel universe to me because the first opening splash page was Thor dropping off Iceman to the X Factor headquarters. That's right. okay. And it's like, You want to find out what happened? Go read Thor. Mm-hmm. It's like, What? And then, like, you go into it, and it's like, a Marvel Girl explaining that she's not Phoenix. And it's like, You want to learn more about that? You read this other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was like, What is going on? Yeah, in this no, I remember comic that, book? that
1: with Madeline Pryor. That one threw me for a loop. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. You know, as a, as a child. Oh, am she be two people, you know? Yeah. But, you know, it taught me all I needed to learn about clones.
0: Right. Or infidelity. Yeah. <laughs> technically, was... technically, it's not
1: infidelity if they are clones, because it's the same genetic person.
0: Right. It, it's just, until we found that out, yes. it was Cyclops leaving his wife yeah. and infant for his a, old girlfriend. For a woman who looks
1: just like him. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird.
0: Yeah, so anyway, that's not what this trade is about. <laughs> this is back when the X-Men, the original five, were a lot more simpler. A lot uh, more basic. And this storyline, Alex Summers is basically introduced here as a MacGuffin.
1: Well, no, it's, it, it's kind of funny. It's like he starts with very clearly brown hair. And then yes. over a few issues, he's like, hey, suddenly I'm blonde. Cause they I think that was... to flesh me out.
0: So that's later on when Neil Adams takes over the art. Like, mm-hmm. he goes brown hair blonde hair it goes back and forth in one issue and then i think the next issue or or sometime soon they're just like we're just dedicating to blonde it's Mm -hmm. easier to distinguish between scott and alex if they just have different color hair and then we're just going to keep it that way yeah but yeah and these first issues that we're talking about here with the with the living pharaoh he's brown haired and he's a pretty plain jane character uh but he's a MacGuffin. he is a he's an energy battery basically he just has this potential energy in him and oh he's the most powerful mutant he stores all this energy and I'm going to use it for my evil ways
1: you know what I really appreciate though is just this very beginning and it's a well you might be wondering how I wound up in this pickle
0: yes why why do the security guards or cops want to kill Cyclops well find out and it's I guess if you damage ancient um, uh, Egypt artifacts they're they're going to try to kill you
1: I mean, actually, that's probably accurate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm not. I I know it's a crime, but I don't think they'll shoot to kill you. They, cops were different back then. They were well, they were, and they were probably anti mutant back then too. So that makes sense.
1: Which I also noticed was weird because when Scott outs himself to Alex, mm-hmm. he's like, "Oh, my brother's a hero of the X Men." Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, hold on. If you didn't know that, wouldn't you probably hate the mutants like the rest of the world? Right. Because there's nobody who really likes them
0: at this point. But mm-hmm. suddenly he's
1: like, oh yeah, all right, you're on it. Sure, I guess you're not a terrorist. Right. Like, if my brother told me, hey, I'm a terrorist, I would be a little shocked.
0: He comes around real fast. Yeah, that's the thing with these these pre with these pre Chris Claremont stories. They resolve stuff way quickly.
1: Yeah, it's. You know, and it's kind of interesting, because I was thinking about this, like, you know, there's so much dialogue and mm-hmm. verbiage of narrating what's going on and narrating the thoughts. Mm-hmm. And then you have modern comics, where they say very little, and it's more kind of tell the story with the action and the pictures. Mm-hmm. But in telling less with modern comics, they probably accomplish at the same speed where these things do. Like, that was just kind of a weird
0: observation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, this, and, and I'm kind of glossing over, because, like, there's an addendum story in, in both of these issues where it's the, the angel's origin story. Yeah, I just kind of breezed through that. Yeah, I did, too. I was like, okay, he, he becomes... I had a feeling that this was a time when they thought, maybe we'll make the angel a solo hero, because any of these heroes that can fly, Human Torch or whomever, they're like, oh, well, if he can fly, it's more freedom for our writers... Sure. <laughs> so you can just fly around and then save people and then it's easier to write for, I well, guess.
1: Well, I mean just the the speed that flying helps you traverse the world and this is amazing. Oh
0: yeah. It's like you're gonna go cross Atlantic.
1: <laughs> yeah, look, Hey, like you wanna go down to Egypt for brunch? Yeah, yeah. Let's go to Egypt.
0: <laughs> How fast does Angel go? According to um, the, his, his Marvel handbook, I think he only does like 35 miles an hour. So Which is probably realistic. It's going to take you a long time to fly from Egypt to New York. Hey, baby, you hit that jet stream and you were just cruising. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't have a lot to say about this Living Pharaoh storyline, other than that it introduces Havoc. There's clearly a connection that later on, I think in the 2000s, they revive like, oh, they're, they're just attached, these two characters with uh, with havoc and uh, the living
1: pharaoh. One thing that gave me a good chuckle is mm-hmm. you know when they're kind of assaulting him in his lair and he touches the sphinx and his goons come out of these sarcophagi. Mm. Now, these are not mystical people because right. they understand how to get trade paperwork to smuggle sarcophagus through you know, through the airport. Mm-hmm. So this is like, you know, maybe an architect and this guy's a construction worker and they're just like, god, it's getting so Low on oxygen in this <laughs> sarcophagus, like hit the button, dude. Let it, us out. It's worth it. It's worth, worth it. It's, it's gonna be s-
0: look the look on their faces. The when payoff we will out. be amazing. Yeah, and this is the the era's showing its age. Like these are late '60s stories, and they're they're kind of conforming to the uh, the 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 Adam West Batman plots of yeah. we're gonna have our our goons themed in their outfits,
1: and they're such a sweet like nostalgia to that too Mm -hmm. you know it's like it's so innocent
0: oh yeah for sure and i appreciate where comic books came from like i like looking at these like in historical sense it's like maybe i wouldn't gravitate towards this for entertainment but the fact that this is the first appearance of alex summers who is a significant character afterwards is really cool So that ends Don Heck doing the artwork in these first two issues. It's Neil Adams, which, if you don't know, the dude is well—he was a legend. He was—he uh, was the gold standard of Batman. He was one of the uh, one of the gold standards of the 1970s. I will say that. Him, John Romita Sr., and then you had John Byrne taking over for the X-Men after uh, Dave Cockrum. And that was another trendsetter.
1: Neil Adams, he's also the one who did the Demon in a Bottle, right? Did
0: he draw that? Uh, No, that was uh, John Romita Jr. No. That was actually not John Romita Sr., Wait, it was John Romita Jr. Jr.
1: started that before Jr. he went to the, like, boxy art yeah.
0: style. So, back, oh, so sure. I actually, if you listen to my Made in the Trade on Demon in the Bottle, that's a promotion for this very podcast. <laughs> if you listen to my uh trade episode on that, we talk about how he was drawing a house style. So you didn't have artists really
1: flexing their creativity.
0: Yeah, yeah, showing their signature styles, which nowadays you look at John Romita Jr.'s style, you're like, oh, that's clearly John Romita Jr. Yeah. You know, but back then, yeah, it was very much almost like his father, really. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, no, excellent. Um, but it, back to um, Neil Adams, yeah, in, in his first issue of X-Men... Which is this uh, living monolith is on the cover here in issue fifty six. It looks so good by comparison to the previous issue. And the the artwork is probably the best thing about this issue.
1: And it almost feels like a intro to burn, yeah. It, it like just kind of in the just the face the facial features and everything like that,
0: yeah. um both Neil Adams and Byrne, I hold in very high regard. And this is early Neil Adams, and yeah, the, the both of them, they really give a, a nice spice to the X-Men comic books. And it's probably, if I were to recommend this trade to anyone, it's Neil Adams would be my number one reason why you would want to read this trade. It's It introduces havoc, obviously, but Neil Adams, the artwork... It's it it's a standout of the comic book. The writing is just not at the level <laughs> that the artwork is. <laughs> but the the living monolith turns out that when the uh, the living pharaoh absorbs the energy that havoc stores from the sun, he becomes this forty foot tall, renames himself the living monolith, and he
1: yeah yeah he's just like well I'm big and powerful and I'm that's all I need to conquer the world.
0: Yeah, that's that's the gist of it. Um, And you still got the X-Men, you know, doing their best, trying to to fight him. It's... mm, This is... Yeah. It's I like the original five, uh, and I I have a love for them since I read them in X-Factor. But I can see in reading this trade why they had to make some changes. And also why they didn't sell very well. And then at the end of this trade, they go to reprinting. They just... Every issue from sixty-seven to ninety-three, they're all reprints mm-hmm. of previous And yeah, Just kind of buying their
1: time, I guess.
0: I, I mean, <laughs> I think they just didn't want to cancel it. They saw some value in it, but they knew that they just weren't selling half as well as all their other their lines. And I'll, I'll get into it more later, but I just think they were stuck in a rut. They they didn't think about making these characters grow I think they wanted to keep the original five they didn't want them to grow like the Avengers because the Avengers had some roster changes early on too there was dissent There's more dissent in the Avengers this didn't have any threat of people pulling a Hulk and leaving the team early on mm-hmm. like
1: well, you know back then eh, people were still kind of racist so they're like you know let's just hold off on making some political statements and see how this whole we hate other races things plays out mm, maybe not
0: I don't know I mean, like, yeah, well, okay, I hear what you're saying, because the diversity is very lacking. It's all of five white kids yeah, fresh and, out of college. And I mean, no the, one's poor. Like, everyone is just, like, an upper to middle class.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the you know, the mutants, they are the allegory for race relations. Right. You know, and so, virtually, they're like, yeah, you know, race relations, we should all get along, and, you know, the outsiders can be good. And then maybe they were like, well, hold, let's see where this political climate goes.
0: I think, yeah, this in the 1960s, yeah, there was a lot of racial unrest, for sure. Also, you didn't want to offend white people because they were pretty yeah. much the only people spending money. Exactly. And it's like, and so it's like, you're going to cater to the money demographic. Not my woke X-Men. Mm-hmm. Mm. Later on, we we see a change. I'll move on to the more interesting storyline. That's issue fifty-seven, and that's the, that's when we bring the Sentinels into this. I think that was pretty cool. So now you've got Neil Adams' artwork, and you've got a storyline that's somewhat interesting here. Like it's it's playing on the anti-mutant sentiment, which we later see become the benchmark of the X-Men. Like really, like a lot of these issues kind of ignore anti-mutant hysteria, but uh, the Sentinels kind of encapsulates it. No,
1: I didn't remember Larry Trask. Have we seen him since? Or is this kind of the end of him?
0: Uh there's Larry Trask and there's Bolivar Trask,
1: Yeah, because right? yeah, he's the son of Bolivar in this.
0: Okay, so Bolivar was in, like, the old Stan Lee story, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And so Larry, I think they kill off in this trade here. Oh. Um, uh, but later, what?
1: Larry has something to do with um, Bastion. Oh, does he? Yes, because okay. when when Marvel released those negative issues, mm. the uh, X Men Negative One was a, something about the medallion with Larry and his relation to Bastion.
0: Oh, really? Okay. I, I don't remember
1: the specifics, but that's yeah.
0: Okay. All right, and Bastion was a uh, part Sentinel, or
1: yeah, he is kind of like part Sentinel
0: Nimrod. Tech. Okay, so Nimrod, the Sentinel from the future. Yeah, somehow mm-hmm. we're going off the rails here by the way. We're just skipping <laughs> the timeline totally. But uh, just keep in mind the the issues we're reviewing are like several decades old, so there's a lot of continuity that's yeah. happened since then. But I I have to say like I liked this Sentinel storyline. It kind of it was kind of a a highlight of this trade.
1: Yeah, it it and it's it's kind of fun too because it you know, it plays a, a lot into the The AI phobia where it's like, all right, these programs have a very strict protocol,
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: you know, and so it's, well, we must defeat them with logic. So if you guys are protecting all of humanity, then you must attack the source of the mutation. And the source of the mutation
0: is the sun Mm -hmm. radiation. Yes. It was like uh, Captain Kirk versus Landro (laughs) in that Star Trek (laughs) episode. He he caused the computer to, to terminate himself. But uh, yeah, it's the same thing. It's like just tell the hey, you you want to destroy mutants? Just go destroy the sun. They failed at destroying the sun, by the way. <laughs> they did. And, You know, I actually
1: i i did the math. Mm-hmm. So you know, they fly to this into the sun within two panels. Okay. Uh, the escape velocity for Earth is uh, forty thousand kilometers per hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fastest rocket is is the Parker Probe, which mm-hmm. has to get that speed to break uh, break altitude. Then you can basically do the curvature where they go around the planets. The fastest they could get there going, the fastest speed of any probe we have would be nine years. Really? Correct. That's the fastest. Yeah, that makes I mean, sense.
0: I t- technically
1: we couldn't get to the sun, mm-hmm. but if you kind of said, well, all right, they had some sort of unlimited energy source. Right, right. Maybe they're solar power- powered, but
0: yeah, nine years. Nine years. So these are some- like, If you're going the speed of light, a mere eight minutes. <laughs> yes, Exactly. <laughs> So these are some fast sentinels no wonder they caught the mutants that easily they go anywhere they want immediately and yeah this is um they have a bunch of mutants in captivity and uh right this is where we reveal well it kind of reminds everyone how many mutants there are yeah at this point
1: exactly it's it's almost back down to that like 98 where hey they are a small minority kind mm-hmm. of a thing it's like
0: but it's not 98. It's like... Maybe 30? Eight or nine. Like, how many people? We <laughs> yeah, got like the Brotherhood. The Brotherhood's, like, maybe, like, six mutants. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, like, how many were there? One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, like... Yeah, maybe about 20, 25.
1: Oh, is there 20? Well, I don't know, because there's, like, a, lo- a row here.
0: I thought we saw them all, no? Is there... Could there be any uh, I assume missing? they were full, but maybe they were just empty, waiting for new mutants uh-huh. to be born. Oh, Maybe they didn't capture everybody, but, I mean, like... They had got, they got Banshee, they've got Mesmero, they've got the the Brotherhood, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the X-Men, and it's like, that's like, that's, you can count them on two hands, yeah. like, that's not a lot of mutants. They kept <laughs> mutants pretty rare back then. And we, do, we don't get Sunfire until he's like rubbing his hands in dirt. We see Sunfire in later issues of this yeah. trade, so that's kind of cool, but um, yeah, they, um, so anyway, I'm I'm, I'm skipping Eunice. all around this plot. They got Eunice too. Eunice the Untouchable. How? Wasn't he in the Brotherhood? Well, they, he is. They but, touched him. But yeah, like um, that's, that was my big thing. I'm like, cool. No, they said they said they used anti-gravity on him. Oh, you're right. So there's uh. a way around it. <laughs> <laughs> Which,
1: no, they, they use anti-gravity on the blob.
0: Oh, you're right. It was that.
1: But, oh. what, but what we know is uh, the blob's power is actually gravity control. Okay. They did that in the one shoot. I don't, it was a, uh, where the Professor X was leading some of the evil mutants. Mm. And Blob was able to basically Mr. Fantastic stretch himself. And he had basically said that Professor X had helped him understand that his ability was his control over his own gravity and mass. Oh. So he could decrease the gravity of himself to stream himself in directions. Whoa.
0: Oh. Okay. I had an understanding of his connection to the Earth was what adjusted his mass. Which so is, he basically derives his mass from the earth itself.
1: Which is a nod to Antaeus, Hercules' enemy in Greek mythology.
0: Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Hercules could only defeat him by picking him off the ground and pummeling him while his feet were no longer on the ground.
0: Oh, look at that. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, now i got to read that mythology. That sounds cool.
1: And they actually introduced a X-Men villain, Antaeus, uh, with the Neo when they fought them in the uh, early 2000s. Mm. That whole Ce- Cecilia Ray's arc. Or,
0: okay. Yeah. So we get, um, let's go over to this next issue. It's issue, oh boy, I'm skipping, how far, no, yeah, I'm still with this, this is still the Sentinel, this is still the Sentinel storyline, this is issue 59, and so we haven't actually gotten to them flying in the sun, we haven't revealed, it turns out that he was a mutant, the medallion was basically a mutant inhibitor device. And then the, uh, the the Sentinels are like, oh, yeah, we got to get you too, Trask. <laughs> so that's fun. Uh, the X-Men dress up as the uh, Brotherhood in order to fool the Sentinels. I found the Sentinels interesting, kind of quaint. <laughs> They're, like, They're like, oh, you're Iceman? We're going to switch to, um, you know, hot air and like if you're whatever like we're just going to adapt to you specifically but if you're dressed up as Quicksilver we're like, not going to know that you're Cyclops. Exactly. It's like they're pretty easily fooled by yeah. a mustache and glasses. <laughs> exactly. It's like oh we didn't know. Uh, but this introduces Hivik's, uh suit. Again. um, And um we're referring to later issues in the timeline but uh in X Factor when the right uh, is apprehending of a souped up Iceman. They put an inhibitor belt on him and he wears that thing for years because it controls his power. Mm-hmm. They thought it was going to terminate his power, but instead it helped him control his augmented superpower. So similar to that, they give Havoc this uh, containment suit and then he just wears it for decades because it helps him control his power.
1: Uh, was that Cameron, the first original Cameron Hodge mm-hmm. storyline? Okay. No, I'm
0: talking about X-Factor with Cameron Hodge. Yeah, correct. yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So they they, Iceman was souped up when he was in that issue of Thor I referred to, um, in my first X uh, Factor. My first Marvel comic was X Factor 16, and Iceman is dropped off by Thor, and it is uh, it is my introduction because I've got to, now I've got to read this issue of Thor and find out what happens there where they souped up Iceman. In later issues, they try to inhibit. Iceman's power, but instead, now he's no longer out of control Iceman, he's controlled Iceman, that he can turn off the ice uh, yeah. the inhibitor belt when he wants to just let loose. So, kind of similar to this <laughs> issue here in this trade, Havoc has a containment suit, so that he's not just willy-nilly throwing his power all over the place, but now he's got more control over his power than ever. So the next issue here Oh, it's Sauron. He's got some sweet blue jeans. Yes. And if you... Okay, so there's there's some history I'm going to introduce here. In the back of this trade, there's an interview that explains that Roy Thomas and Neil Adams had an original idea for this energy vampire, Sauron, but they originally wanted him to be a man-sized bat. And because he was an energy vampire... They figured that the comics code wasn't going to allow both a giant bat and him sucking people's life forces. So they said, okay, we're going to make it similar. He'll be a pterodactyl. Hypnosis pterodactyl. Yes. Yes, again, very similar to (laughs) Dracula. Exactly. So, And then if you don't know, Neil Adams, in about a year, goes off to draw Batman, and he introduces the Man Bat character, who... Also has a sweet pair of pants. Sweet pair of pants. You know, there's nothing better than an
1: animal wearing pants. Yeah.
0: Put pants on your dog, you laugh for a day. Exactly. Yeah. And if you've got leathery wings, <laughs> so, all the better. All the better. So Sauron is introduced as uh, Lycos. Dr. Lycos is this doctor who says he specializes in uh, hypnotherapy and helping people recover from exhaustion. Well, it turns out he's just an energy vampire, and he wants to trick people into coming in. Well, they tricked Havoc into coming in, and once again, Havoc is a, uh, a MacGuffin. Yeah. He's a big energy battery for for people to siphon off of. Well, you know, he, he's always kind of been the MacGuffin. Like, always, you think?
1: Yeah, like what? Well, he is a Nexus being. Okay, you know, so that's how we get like a lot of storylines of like, yeah, Havok's neck, is being, yeah, he's a battery again, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just kind of a, it's a theme that turns up in his life that okay. he's just
0: you know used for ulterior motives. Yeah, well, that's just, that was his origin is he's always this supercharged battery that villains want to get a hold of.
1: Now, okay, so we have his introduction here, but we don't mm-hmm. know about. Uh, Corsair pushing him and Scott out of the airplane. No, that is Uh, that
0: is later. It's it's almost like a a, an after the after fact retcon. retcon. Yeah, Uh, but yeah, we don't know the origins of Corsair or or how Scott doesn't have control of his power the way that Havoc does. Mm -hmm. But in this storyline, we've got some origins for Sauron, uh, and yes, Sauron is taken directly from the Lord of the Rings books. And, oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. In fact, in this story, he <laughs> says, I used the name of the ultimate villain. Uh, Lycos was apparently a big fan of Tolkien. Okay. And he read it. He, he says it in the story. There's no coincidence whatsoever. Oh, yeah, right
1: there. The, uh, the name of Tolkien, Tolkien's ultimate villain. Yeah,
0: exactly. Absolutely. So this is clearly just named after the villain of Lord of the Rings. And uh, apparently Marvel got an angry letter from the Tolkien people. <laughs> Saying they didn't like that, but I guess at this point it's public domain. So what are you going to do? Interesting. I think I think they had no basis for a lawsuit.
1: You know, and I like how that speaks to the in-universe characterization of Carl Lykos—that he's also a nerd himself. Yes. He's like I really like Tolkien, and uh, uh, <laughs> Sauron was a bad guy, so I'm going to call myself Sauron the bad guy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so again, we've got uh, Neil Adams doing a lot of this artwork, which is just great, and. It, it might be a silly storyline, but I feel it's just it's saved by the fact that Neela Adams is drawing this. It's cheesy, but uh, like somehow this is more
1: fun than the prior yeah. uh, than you know the you mm-hmm. um, living Pharaoh one.
0: Oh, for sure. yeah the, the living Pharaoh one is such a forgettable story. but uh the Sauron stuff is interesting. and I also read that they they gravitated towards this um pterodactyl form. Because they knew that they did want to go back to the Savage Land. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, this will be a nice little justification okay. for it. But it was funny that Sauron was not actually created in the Savage Land as like some of the later continuities, the cartoon, etc. Yeah, they, they tend have to
1: bring you him back there a lot, but, he seems which, to but it like makes it. sense, you know. Yeah, yeah.
0: But uh, no, it's, Sauron was originally meant to be living in the city and then flying out of windows and siphoning off people's energy. So yeah, more stuff with Soron in the next issue. the The original five X Men are still kind of they're a little more dynamic with Neil Neil Adams drawing the um, the action sequences.
1: Oh, and specifically his paneling. Yeah, is is really a you know a pretty significant change from the old square panels every the, page. The three
0: by three yeah. panels. Yeah, this is like more dynamic. You've got at angles of the panels kind of spilling into each other. Some of the characters spilling out of panels into the other separate panels, but the Sauron storyline extends to like three issues I think. A lot of stuff with Angel because... <laughs> it's a hot ticket.
1: They both fly. Well, I mean, you look if you have a vampire character, vampire's bad.
0: Mm-hmm. Angel, good. That's a good point. I didn't even think of that. Yes. No, absolutely. You've got good versus evil. Uh, you've got him hypnotizing Angel and they can fly away, but... Uh, Hard-working capitalist. Oh. Well... Yeah? Yeah. Just because you don't work doesn't mean you're not a capitalist. (laughs) You own the capital.
1: Well, I mean, he's still a stock investor and a businessman. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: you know. No, absolutely. So, it's actually two issues with Sauron, but, like, the next issue, you still see Sauron, the third issue, you see Sauron... No, it's not Sauron. It's just Pteranodons. It's so suddenly, Angel, who had all this traumatic effect with Sauron, he's surrounded by all these Pteranodons, Or pterodactyls, whatever you want to call them. The the story flips back and forth anyway, As for what they want to call them. Whatever
1: them wiggled dinosaurs are called. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But he's suddenly falling down a chasm, and, like, there's all this stuff about falling down a chasm, and you just wind up in the savage land. Well,
1: you know, it's interesting, because well, they talk about they hit the cave, so it's kind of diving into hollow earth theory.
0: Mm. Okay.
1: So it's, yeah, it's basically, like, all of the earth is connected through underground tunnels. Mm Mm-hmm. But in the Hollow Earth, you kind of go on the other side. But then these tunnels, I guess, just open up into Antarctica. Yeah. Which they, they do reference. They're like, well, the Savage Land is further south in Antarctica. And they're like, well, yeah, dude, but the tunnels go everywhere.
0: Mm. Mm. So in this, we, we fall down a chasm into the Savage Land and we meet, uh, what's his name? Amphibious, Amphibious right yeah. off the bat. Amphibious and an unnamed character that he's with, with white hair. Who could this be? Who could it be? Now, we know, of course, but, like, in reading this for the first time, I think that was super cool that they don't reveal who this character is until the very last panel.
1: Correct. But my issue with that is, like, wouldn't Angel know his voice? I would think.
0: Yeah. But there's that suspension of disbelief, yeah. right? Like, we, you X-Men. <laughs> I mean, I
1: guess you're looking at a little T through your helmet, so, you know, I can't get a good look at your face. But I've got right. that voice anywhere.
0: I mean... Look, if we w- if we want to really justify it, maybe he disguised his voice.
1: Uh, there could be higher concentrations of helium in the atmosphere oh, okay. in the Savage Land due to the vents. <laughs> so
0: what we're not seeing is that everybody here is speaking with a little high squeaky voice. Go. Yeah, There you go. Um, but yeah, the suspension of disbelief. All these characters have their mouths exposed. Like none of their identities are ever revealed based on their voice. But we see the Savage Land mutates. We don't know that they're mutated. Um, this this character i'm still i'm going to pretend like you didn't read this uh the, the this character this their leader their scientist leader he calls them mutants and uh he he's one angel over it's like oh you're just like professor x you've you taken all these wandering mutants under your wing and you train them it's great how did somebody so gullible ever become a successful businessman <laughs> he in- well he inherited, inherited it. it yeah but the old fashioned way um, you inherited it so it's, a, it's again Neil Adams does great great artwork in this I I love it I love all these characters that I would be introduced to in, in the late 80s I think it was uh, Jim Lee doing mm-hmm. that issue of Uncanny X-Men where you they, mean the one with Rogue uh, yes I think so mm-hmm. and the, uh, before Rogue I think wound up there with uh, Zaladane and Polaris
1: oh okay yeah
0: that two part series yeah yeah that's when I was introduced to the mutates in the savage land they were referring to this character who I'm on the last panel by the way I'm gonna tell you it was Magneto yeah Magneto is the guy that Angel befriends and thinks is all cool this we didn't know at this point of reading the X-Men what Magneto's face looked like turns out he's got white hair and he was this guy the whole time but the whole stinking time. The whole stinking time. You mean he wasn't that robot that got blown up? No, oh, this gosh. is true Magneto.
1: Now, see, looking back through this though, I love the aesthetic they give for Kazar. That he's mm-hmm. just like kicking ass, taking names. Yeah, you know, he's just like whatever the rule of rand out of the, out of my way. Let's go throw a beating on these mutants, and you know, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, he totally outclasses the protagonists of the story. Like these guys have been fighting for years, and they're like. Okay, you guys don't know how to fight. <laughs> yeah. Like, watch this.
1: boy, Kevin Plunder.
0: <laughs> so we've got the next issue of the Savage Land story called The Triumph of Magneto. And he's basically turned angel against the X-Men because the X-Men are teamed up with Kesar. Kesar's like, no, that, that dude with the white hair and his mutates, they're they're terrible. They've been hurting the, the, the natives here. You've got to fight them. So Angel's like, no, you got it all wrong. It's like, no, Angel, sorry, you've got it all wrong. But it's it's a decent story. It's not terrible. Well, it's it's a fun
1: collection of characters where it's like, mm-hmm. hey, here's a bunch of just good guy fodder for the good guys to beat up. But they're yeah, they're interesting looking.
0: Yeah, and I think this kind of expands on that limitation that we saw a couple issues ago, where it's like, dude, you you've only introduced like eight mutants <laughs> up to this point. And then they're like, let's just choose the, like, seven or eight more. Yeah, world building. Why not? Uh, and I think they justified it by, at the end of this storyline, they just undo all of their mutations.
1: It, but you know what?
0: And then I, I read that, and I was like,
1: where did they come back?
0: I, was it with Zaladane? Was it? It might was, have been. Okay. If not, no, it might have been before that, because we have the Uncanny X-Men with Cyclops and them coming back. I've got to reread that. Yeah. I don't remember exactly.
1: All I know is that Barbarous started hitting the gym, because, like, right here, you know, he's
0: pretty scrawny
1: with forearms. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he bulked himself up. Right.
0: They kind of unmutate at the end, and that's pretty much the end of that story in the Savage Land. But then we go to issue 64. We're getting to the end of this trade, by the way. But the end of the issue 64, we introduce another mutant and future member, albeit temporary, <laughs> of the X-Men. Sunfire. And Actually,
1: I got one callback to
0: Lorelai. Yes. Didn't Colossus get her pregnant? Was it Lorelai? I think he was. He impregnates a a native of the Savage Land. Okay, so it wasn't her. No, I think it was the uh, a Mohawk girl.
1: I'm confusing her with the one that he had a crush on in Secret Wars who was the healer.
0: Okay. That's who I'm confusing with. She does her look like, a yeah. lot like her, yes. Yep okay no but it was a uh, the mohawk girl you're right yeah and um yeah that's a whole other when we do that trade i'll talk more about that storyline a full decade i think a decade and a half after the storyline takes place that colossus man he lady killer mm-hmm. so we've got the issue 64 with sunfire sunfire is someone that i was first introduced to watching uh, an episode of spider-man and his amazing friends dun dun dun
1: dun
0: oh absolutely um, much as I was drawn to X Factor because Iceman was in it, uh, I was uh, I was acknowledging who Sunfire is all because of my love of Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And we've got Sunfire here. He has got the Japanese flag adorned on him. He's got a whole bunch of just he he's your Japanese mutant, and he flies around. He shoots flames. He's he's basically uh, nuclear powered. He shoots out nuclear fire. I think that's the gist of this guy's character, but he's just like, he's the villain of the of the issue.
1: Atomic retribution is what yes. he is.
0: Yes. Uh, his members of his family got killed by the atomic explosion. Uh, his uncle's very vengeful, uh, but his father is is very much trying to mend relations with the West. And so, it's, it's an okay story. You know, it's... Give it its historical yeah. context. It's like we're gonna we're gonna bring s- to the forefront some of this anti-Japanese history that we've got in recent history, and yeah. we'll make one of them a mutant, and we'll see where we go with that. And I don't know.
1: Yeah. Aside from his introduction, it's kind of unremarkable.
0: Exactly. It's not a great story, but yeah, it introduces Sunfire. And oh, one more thing that I forgot to mention: um, Neil Adams changed Angel's costume from this horrible yellow blue striped red thing into a more uh, uniformed and
1: this one persisted for a while I like this one yeah
0: Yeah, exactly he was wearing that one for a long time and then I think later on in the champions or the defenders he gets a red Red version of this Mm -hmm. and then later on that becomes the inspiration for his original x-factor uniform but uh, this issue with Sunfire it's yeah, it introduces Sunfire. It's a bit of a drawn out story, so it's not. It doesn't. It, the pacing's not very good. Yeah. Pacing's not very good. I will say that about this. Very
1: dialogue, narrative heavy. Mm-hmm.
0: And so the next issue we have, I think it's the final Neil Adams issue, issue 65. This is where the. The are introduced. Yeah, the like the whatever the alien, like
1: reptiloid ish. It's it's like they we've... changed how they looked later in the uh, series. Okay,
0: yeah, like we we've never heard of this alien race before. There, and it, it is the vehicle to reintroduce Professor X. We thought Professor X was dead. Guess what? We're gonna retcon his death. And tell you, it was the Changeling that died. It wasn't Professor X. R.I.P. Changeling. <laughs> but I love how
1: they brought him back as Morph.
0: Yeah, so this Neil Adams rendition of, of Changeling is clearly where they got the design for Morph. But that face, the hair, <laughs> that looks just like Morph. In the cartoon. In the cartoon. In the cartoon, yeah.
1: Pull back, Wolverine!
0: <laughs> Morph, No! no. My buddy got killed. So this is, um, this is a one for, for, they crammed a lot into this one issue. We're going to have some back and forth with Havoc and, and, and Lorna pushing back on the original five and like, you can't tell us what to do. Oh yes, we can. Blah, blah, blah. Why are we arguing? Explain yourself. By the way, this is why I'm being such a jerk. Professor X was alive the whole time. What? What? <laughs> And so Charles Xavier explains just why this alien race is so dangerous. You guys got to train like you've never trained before. And they do within like a page or two. You're going to need a montage. 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 And we get that montage. It's this is a jam packed issue. Uh, if, if I'm going to recommend like a standalone Neil Adams X-Men issue, this is a good recommendation because like. So much happens. You know, like, anything that
1: had the Danger Room, I loved the Danger Room as a Mm -hmm. kid. Like, that was just so cool to me.
0: Right. And this is pre-Shiar Tech. This is all just robotics. Robots. Mm -hmm. Robotics attacking them.
1: Which I first learned about in Pride of the X-Men. That mm -hmm. was my first exposure to Marvel Comics.
0: Oh, is it really? Correct. And, yeah, the Danger Room. Mm -hmm. Well, did the Danger Room have holographics? Yeah, it did have holographics in that, didn't it? Because like they were in and, like,
1: so it starts off with them in, in running an Aztec through
0: it. tomb and Correct. all that stuff. Yeah. But
1: I think it's all piston powered, so it's like pistons and yeah. robots. So it was probably pre hologram. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, it was. Oh, so they didn't have it holographic? I don't think so. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, in this, uh, Professor X is saying like, you know, in order to defeat the Xenocs, we need to link everyone's empathy and and love in the world. And zoom all that love out into space because that just hurts them.
1: It really does.
0: And they're like so scared. They have like a planet sized <laughs> spaceship, I think. And they're like going to smash it's it. into not the a Death something. Star. Nope. <laughs> but they were like, oh, man, never mind. We're going to go away. It's one of my issues with these with these comic book issues is they just rush the resolutions. Like we won. Mm-hmm.
1: What's yeah, it's almost like the old Doctor Who's monster of the week.
0: Mm-hmm. Like All right, let's episodic. Let's, yep. Cram it in there. Very episodic. So then Professor X passes out. Lorna's like, oh, no. All that mental effort may have cost Professor X his life. Next issue, The Hulk. The Hulk. <laughs> and obviously... Sales are dipping. Gotta sales link it are dipping. We know that sales must have been dipping because they went to reprints right after this issue. The Hulk, we know he's a popular character. We're going to shoehorn him into the X-Men. And how do they justify it? Well, only Bruce Banner can save Professor X. <laughs> Apparently, Professor X and Bruce Banner were old colleagues. I don't think they ever mentioned that before. Hmm. Maybe Professor X mind wiped him so he forgot? <laughs> But Professor X is like on his dying bed or whatever, and he's like, "Oh, you gotta find Bruce Banner, so they have a big fight with the Hulk." <laughs> and, and yeah, they fight. And again, this is one of those resolutions where they just rush. They're like, "Oh, zap! Oh, it's the Thingamy Bob! It's the Bruce Banner Thingamy Bob <laughs> in the wall of that that mountain, and it's the, in the wall of the mountain, a secret lab, and the Thingamy Bob's right there. That's the." Look, you press this button to save Charles Xavier. Perfect. (laughs)
1: Perfect.
0: (laughs) And that was my expedited summary of these issues. That's, yeah, that's pretty accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Zach, what's your overall feeling on uh, reading these issues after all this time?
1: Yeah, like I said, it's a lot of nostalgia because, like, uh, I remember... Back when they came out with that, they had the, the CD-ROMs you could buy. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I got the entire X-Men collection on CD-ROM. Ooh. And that was how, like, so, you know, because I was a long-time collector. But then when those CD-ROMs came out, mm-hmm. you know, I just sat down and basically just kind of read through all those, all the Fantastic Fours and Avengers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's, you know, it's nice to pick it up in a book form yeah. and, and go back through it. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's just nostalgia and it kind of takes you back to... The heritage of the comics, right? A you more know,
0: simpler time.
1: Yeah, but it makes you appreciate where it's come to nowadays from where it began. And Absolutely the humble beginnings.
0: Yeah, I agree, and it it tells me, first of all, why they had to change. Like, why did there need to be this upheaval with the giant size X Men number one, X Men ninety four? Why did they have to just just shake things up so much? Because it was so static. It was you know the basics in there issues was how do we justify them all using their powers together and they just had to keep doing that over issue after issue <laughs> exactly. after issue. was like oh no bobby your snowball missed him don't worry my telekinesis <laughs> will make him hit it in the face maybe if i take a swing around this pipe i could yeah <laughs> angel quick i'll be on my hands and you throw me by my ankles onto him
1: but thank god you know giant size introduced the fastball special yes that's 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 all we need.
0: So, and we'll get into that stuff in the next uh, episode. We talk about Giant Size X-Men number one and all that. But leading up to that, what this doesn't have that the Giant Size X-Men introduces is a lot of diversity. So you have, obviously, you have nationality diversity. You have ethnic diversity. You have age diversity, which I thought was clever because all these guys are the same age. They're like just freshly graduated college kids. Like they just got their degrees but they're all still young. They're all still a little bit inexperienced yeah, and not particularly powerful. It's
1: the Peter Parker syndrome where they, do, they didn't want to let Peter Parker grow up for so long.
0: Exactly. It's very much they thought that this would appeal to people that if you, if you like Spider-Man, you'll also love five different <laughs> Spider-Men and they're all still <laughs> not sure about their place in life. Um, before this trade came out, they had to kill off Professor X in the hopes that maybe these guys would grow up, grow into their own and stuff. And then they still kind of are very immature. They're not particularly powerful. They're not particularly competent. They kind of still had to dr- write them as they're all inexperienced.
1: Yeah, you know, th- I was kind of laughing at that with the power fluctuations of Cyclops. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when he's first uh, zapping the uh, the living Pharaoh there, it's like, you know, he's got maybe, what, 30 seconds of blast. And then he's like, oh, I'm winded.
0: Mm-hmm. It's like, really, dude? Like, you've been doing this for some time now. Right. But even, even with the limitations they have on him, he's still like overwhelmingly the most powerful character yeah. on the team. It's like, Bobby's gonna throw a snowball, Beast is gonna, like, jump in the air, and Angel's gonna fly around, Jean's gonna, like, throw some tin cans at the guy, but then Cyclops is just gonna clean house at the end. Like, you know, they're just delaying the Cyclops to enter.
1: Yeah. But, you know, I've always, like, laughed, you know, when that I can't remember, probably Wolverine or somebody was falling from the sky mm-hmm. from really high, and so he had to shoot him with his yeah. Laser these are to slowly cushion him down right it's just like hmm, i'm not sure the dynamics of this
0: like <laughs> that's supposed to be like, a deadly blast
1: yeah so it's like is it just coming out
0: slower like <sighs> <laughs> it's he did a widespread yeah that's what he did, adjusts his visor mm-hmm. yes no uh, we'll we'll talk more about the uh the uncanny x-men as it were an, in a different episode but uh thank you for joining me thank you for having on me on this collection of books if I were to tell you to read this, I would warn you, yes, it is an antiquated uh, method of storytelling, but definitely read the issues that Neil Adams drew. They are beautiful, and they are historically significant. We see the original costume for Havoc. We see the introductions of Sauron, the mutates in the Savage Land. We get some Magneto character development. Um, it's, it's not a complete waste. Just because Wolverine's not in it doesn't mean it's... It's bad.
1: Yeah, uh, it, at the very least, read the Sentinel arc, read the KZ mm-hmm. arc. Yeah, yeah, I agree.
0: All right, All Zach, right. thanks a lot for joining. Thanks for me. having me. Yeah, we'll see you next time.